Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of Marcus Meets, a show available via iTunes, which works on any Apple device, or Acast, which works on iPhones and any Apple device, as well as any other type of phone out there. You can listen any way you want by going to marcusbronzy.com forward slash meets. That's M-A-R-C-U-S-B-R-O-N-Z-Y dot com slash meets. Now it's time for part three of Funk Butcher's Marcus Meets. He's a popular guy. He works with a lot of people, uh, including someone that I'm about to ask him about. In this episode, we also talk about his production processes, big budget sounds on a budget that's not necessarily enormous, a change in his relationship with DJing, a change with Duke Dumont's relationship. Duke Dumont, uh, a top charting worldwide house producer, a change of his relationship with DJing. Um, Funk's relationship with the grime MC Trim and loads more, of course, when Funk joins us in part three of this four part Funk Butcher Marcus Meets combination. So we kick it off by talking about a production output of his called Funk Bias. So I say to Funk, what is Funk Bias? Funk Bias is very simply the the amalgamation of yeah. myself and Zed Bias. Funk Butcher, Zed Bias, you get Funk Bias. Didn't take too long in the studio to, <laughs> to think of that one. Is that a five-minute jobby? Yeah, five-minute job. <laughs> <laughs> took us, to, it definitely took us longer to make the music than it is to think of the name. So, yeah, yeah shout to Zed. How did that come about? Um, that came about, once again, through uh, my connection to Phil Asher. So Phil Asher was playing at his album launch party for Deep Electronic Sounds. Yep. And um, that was in East Village, which is in um, central London. Um, not too far. It's, it's a venue that's closed now, but it was not too far from Old Street Roundabout. Yeah. And uh, Phil Asher was doing his album launch party. They was playing there with Zanzikar, Mighty Zaf, and... Um, uh, Zed Bias was there. Zed Bias had come down from Manchester. That's where he lives. And that was the first time we actually kind of like physically met each other. Um, he'd heard of me because obviously I'd put out 
at the time my release on uh, Phil Asher's Rest of Soul label, the Streets of Africa uh, track. Um, and yeah, so things kind of just really just kicked off from there because he appreciated my style, the way I kind of built my drums and, and the the level of productivity that I did. And I was really quick at getting ideas down and whatnot. And the next time I came back from um, Ayanapa, I, I believe when I came back from Ayanapa in 2009. Yes. So when I came back from Ayanapa in 2009, um, I was, I remember being on the, the, the phone and I think I was just, sorting out some legalities with the a, a tune I'd done with Shay Soul mm-hmm. called Pull Me Close. Mm-hmm. That was the first release on, on my own label, Houseology. And I was just sorting out some legalities with Cameo because Cameo wanted to put out, DJ Cameo wanted to put out on a, a compilation CD that was coming out on Ministry of Sound. Mm-hmm. And I just got off the phone and then I was chatting to Zed. Um, I was chatting to Zed as well. Out, coming out of Manchester and just cracking out some music. Um, talking about the future and whatnot and which direction you want to go in. And when I got up there, we literally just kind of like, we hit it off, started making music, made about four or five tracks that day. And we thought, you know what, let's, let's see what we can do with this. So this is like around, I think we're coming into like 2010 when I actually got up to Manchester. So it's a long train journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think that time I actually did uh, I took coach yeah I took coach to Manny oh that, ex- that explains it then. yeah that yeah, explains so, it. yeah so that's that's why I got there a year later yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> so I arrived up there and um basically we we done the music and whatnot and at the time um Zed was not well, still is but at, at that specific time he was kind of um just beginning his uh, music relationship with Lofa I believe so the the logical place for us to kind of like shop the music was for it to go on Lofa's imprint Swamp 81. So we put out two uh two track vinyl on the Swamp 81 and it kind of got a lot of um cult following and and appeal on kind of like an underground level. And yeah, kind of got snapped up globally and whatnot, but that was the beginning of that situation. And we fast forwarded to most recently last year. Last year? This year? Because so much has happened. Um, and we reconnected again, made uh, two EPs, um, both of which have come out on Southern Fried Records, which is the imprint owned by um, Fatboy Slim. And yeah, that situation, um, it was an interesting one. I mean, we felt that the situation could have gone a lot better than it did. Um, We were anticipating that coming into a situation where a label such as Southern Fire would get behind us, that they could obviously push a lot more of the music side of things and we can kind of sit back and be real creatives and not have to kind of like get our heads involved and muddied with all the other kind of politics and 
the the the, the real insane part of music the, the bit that actually makes people fall out of love with the music and the music industry which is the actual business side of it so mm-hmm. we actually wanted to kind of like be able to kind of have our uh our creative hands like on on the aspects that that we were more skilled in and um you begin to obviously learn that even when you have a what you believe to have a, a very strong and um palatable product it is still very difficult to kind of get that initial traction needed um no matter what angle you're coming from whether it's uh, a strong brand or an, a strong known brand or an emerging strong brand um based on the quality of the product that you're putting in it's still very difficult to kind of get that traction going on the on the industry level so I mean, no, no kind of digs or, or, or fault of Southern Fried Records. It was just one of those situations whereby we had to kind of sit back and be like, okay, cool. We, we can reconvene this at a later date. I mean, be, before this, we're, we're mates. I've, I've gone up there and stayed up in Manchester when I've gone through some, some tough times. And, and, and likewise, we've had kind of like conversations about stuff that he's been going through as well, um, in, in his own life. So. Like on a on a brother tip, it's all good. So we can pick it up and and put it down whenever we see fit. It was just a case of we don't want to force things. That's why we probably felt that the gap between the Southern Fried release and the Swamp Eighty One release was kind of like so vast. It was kind of like, why'd you wait five years to put out a next record? It was just like well, when the time's right, the time's right. Do you know what I mean? Not to sound like I'm I'm flipping Kanye out here, but like. <clears throat> seriously I don't believe in kind of forcing the art um, I'm I'm playing to my own drum mm-hmm. and I'm trying to do that in every, in every aspect obviously I am aware that time is of the essence in, in some capacities where if you take too long people will grow tired of you and your brand and what you represent and whatnot. so you actually do need to keep on top of things and keep um, keep the 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 momentum and the, the attention on you, but you don't do that to the detriment of the quality of the product that you're putting out. Otherwise it sounds a bit homogenous. People won't be able to differentiate one tune from the other if you churn it out at such a rate. So we felt that, yeah, just give it a break. When we're ready, we'll just, we'll do it again. Like I said, it's like, whenever we've made the music it's probably been more impromptu than anything. Obviously we're going up there to make music, but what comes from, the sessions, they are literally jamming sessions where we're just kind of like, yeah, they're, 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 they're not contrived in any way, shape or form. They're literally just a vibe and we get that and we hit that record button and then we just, yeah, arrange it. So, so your production process, you literally get in the studio, mm-hmm. have some fun, mm-hmm. get creative and then that's the output. Yeah. Wicked. Yeah. And I feel like that's why I've kind of, that's the way I've personally gone about with my own production technique. Like whenever I've produced anything, anything in my catalog, I've never, um, used stuff that's, um, that I've previously worked on. I've literally worked from the ground up when, and I work. And what I mean is that if I take project a, so to speak, I'll start from the beginning, finish it, complete it. And then that's done. I'll never revisit that product and take bits and pieces and elements from it. I, I completely, start afresh because then I feel a challenge mm. so to speak if I ever 
was if I ever felt that I would need to kind of revisit certain elements like take the drums from there take that sample from there take that synth from there take that vocal from there from a previous project that I've worked on that's when I feel like I'm I'm beginning to enter into that world of of a contrived like um, maneuvers to 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 basically to generate something that that isn't natural mm. I think that's that's the only way I can kind of like phrase it it's because what I'm then trying to do I'm trying to tap into a certain um like energy or 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 whatever a, a geist that is actually prevalent in the here and now, mm. whether it's through social media or otherwise or in the clubs or, and I'm trying to tap into that knowingly as opposed to the way I kind of tend to make music where I'm just like, well, I don't really care if the the audience isn't really dancing to that per se. This is what I'm connecting with. This is what I'm vibing with. Mm. And sometimes I'm a bit early on it. Sometimes I'm a bit, I'm a bit too forward thinking the stuff I've made where like, people haven't caught onto it until a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. And, sometimes, and sometimes there's, there's things I'm making where I'm a bit late. I've had to kind of feel that I want to like this at my own pace rather than jump on the bandwagon, so to speak, when, when things, when people are talking about everything. Okay. And do you think, um, does Z bias follow a similar sort of process as you? Like, have you got a similar mindset when it comes to approaching music? Yeah. So, What's the, what would you describe the output that you guys create? What's funk bias? Um, in terms of genre? Yeah. If you want to put it in a box like that. I don't know. I know what you like funk. Yeah. I hate, <laughs> I hate, I hate pigeonholes. Pigeonholes are pigeons. So, yeah. um, literally to be really, really lazy and bored, it's, it's just good electronic music. I thought um, you, I thought you were going to just say music. Yeah. <laughs> Just, mu- it's just yeah. music. That, that, that's that's too broad, but yeah. Oh uh, no, on on the level, it's just real good electronic music that me and me and Dave believe in. So aside from that, um, the 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 whole production process is literally we're going in there, we're catching the vibe, we're just going to this angle, and we're very rarely um like omitting stuff from the from the session, right? And that's that just shows you how natural it is. So if if that thing comes springs to your mind, even though you it might not sound right to you, we're kind of going out on a whim and saying, you know what, leave it in there. There's a reason why that that you drew you drew for that sound, or you drew for that chord progression, or you drew for that that drum hit, or that that little that little off hit mm. on the on 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 the note. There's a reason you drew for that. Sometimes when you try to go back and polish it, then you it gets a bit contrived again. So yeah. let's just go with your first instincts. Yeah. Uh, let's say first impressions count, yeah. and let's see what comes of it. We mix it down, and, and and then that's what we're getting. So that was the funk bias process, and it's interesting having that process between two people because sometimes you can get a clash of opinions work with with two people. It's very difficult to co-produce mm. um, with someone because they might just be ideologic, ideolog- ideologically opposed to the the direction you go musically and um it's it's quite refreshing when you're on the same wavelength as someone musically and you're just like yeah you like this it's like yeah yeah cool yeah that's that's like you know what i mean generally like, yeah i'm vibing off that kind of thing mm, and mm. you just 
and you just go forward with it. Wicked. Um, so on a production tip, this is the point where if things get a bit technical, I'm going to try my best to explain because yeah. Funk's very knowledgeable about production equipment. I- I'm all right. <laughs> no, you are. You, you've got knowledge. So your current production process, everyone has a different style of production yeah. process. Yeah. Um, we know that you like to go in and feel the vibe. How about the technology side of things? Like what's, what's some, you know, let, let us in on a few things that you like to use. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for producing the budget and it's, it's, it's weird because I actually had, um, a little Twitter conversation a couple of days ago. That's short. It's not like a long thread. It's, if you want to go scroll through my timeline, it was between myself, um, teaser, Logan Sama and zombie. And, we were basically zombie. I think zombie kicked it off. He 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 made the statement, basically alluding to the fact that um, a specific genre, we'll just not mention it, grime, that there was a contingent that had come that was coming into grime that were using like simps that were really on the upper end of the market, mm-hmm. and I immediately kind of connected with what he was trying to say what he was right. what he was basically getting at is that you can create elites and elitism within music and music production when you associate a sound or a production style and you link that to like overpriced equipment and gear yeah so the beauty of um the times that we're living in is that it is really all inclusive it's like Music's like the NHS, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you just you just you just rock up and you get your tablets, man, yeah. <laughs> like, or you get your acid pump, whatever it is. Mm. That's how it is. What where what has is trying to happen in some facets of music and some genres is that it's becoming so clicky, so bougie yeah. that it's becoming determined. And oh, what gear are you using? Oh, let me take a picture of my studio. Or how much vinyl have you got? And this and there is that kind of elitism within music. So coming back to my whole production style I really try and kind of produce on like a budget so to speak mm. uh, obviously that's that's very difficult because at some level you do need to invest and spend and obviously you, like you can't um, you can't skip past and, and cut corners when it comes to quality mm. of your sound you, you will get found out eventually yeah but in terms of how you get those sounds I mean once you've got a basic knowledge of how to engineer a sound clean it up get a nice eq it then recording those sounds and where you get those sounds from that's that's going to be a doddle once you've got your basic daw to actually input the sounds in and arrange them so you did it you did it daw (laughs) please explain to listener what daw is funk i mean just in basic layman terms the dnw is just the program the software you would use to kind of like input your 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 palette of sounds so that would be like whether you're using Logic Pro X, um, Ableton, Cubase, Fruity Loops, whatever. Mm. Is, it, is it any of us? I think that's it. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there, if there was something. Yeah, Reason. Yeah. 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 And apologies if you do already know about this and you're like, I know already. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, we've got to explain it Just to everyone. Break it down. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so I use Logic Pro X. Um, I know some people are still on Logic 9. Yeah. Um, my people for people out there that want to know why i've transitioned to logic pro x i found personally the the um 
for me, it was the the, the time stretching um, aspects of it, of how you kind of can manipulate the samples. It, it's, it seemed a lot more slicker than it did online. And I, the reason that that is important to me is because I produce in machine, not as a plugin. I produce a machine as standalone. That means that that's another program and hardware, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So that pro- machine, yeah, is a is a hardware software program. It's actually physical hardware that you get, and you obviously get the program that goes with it. And it's basically in its in its simplest form, it's a sampler, but it's a bit more than that. Um, so standalone mode it means that I open up machine as aside from the DAW Logic Pro, and I produce a range in there, and I arrange pretty much like. A, from a 16, 16 to a 32 bar drum loop. Any kind of synth work I do in Logic, but I get all the drums, I get all the kind of the fills and whatnot and how I want the, the movement of the drums to kind of um, to operate. I do all of that in machine. And the reason why the time stretching thing is of importance to me is because I'm exporting out um, 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 the, the waveforms. So I'm not using MIDI in logic so it's very so the waveforms is just you probably know it's really high quality audio brings mm-hmm. that out and you're not exporting midi and midi is uh basically information that tells you what note is being played in certain areas Am yeah I'm, if i'm right yeah, oh, yeah that's pretty much it um so yeah so funk's pulling out big audio files from machine and putting them into logic yeah and stretching them yeah and and i'm doing that because and that's why the stretching aspect is important to me because with midi any kind of alterations or, or or changes in the track is very easy to do with MIDI, but because I'm using the the, the WAV in Logic, mm-hmm. then um, I rely on any kind of last minute changes and whatnot to be. I, I need a program that can kind of implement those changes very quickly. So uh, the only program, obviously, that does it better than that is probably Ableton. And if you're really, really, really good, um, like. Cubase is amazing. I've seen that Zed is a, is a wizard on Cubase and the way he uses it and whatnot. But for me, I've always, um, um, what's it called, found it more comfortable with Logic. Mm. What I'd also like to get is that it doesn't matter what you use. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, like if you're good at it and you can kind of articulate your sounds, this, that's what it is. That's what it matters. So whether it's Logic, Fruity and whatnot. But that's kind of like my my, my process in in producing. So, yeah, I do all my arranging in Logic, but my ideas, I get down very quickly using machines. So that's why I've been um, singing his praises from whenever. When, when did I get it? Around about 2010, I think I first got it. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out to Native Instruments. They're the ones who are winner there. So I'm not even on the the Native, uh, the Machine Studio yet. I'm still using Machine Mark II, but it, it does the job, man. What, whatever, any, whatever you like, you like. Yeah. It's interesting because... Uh, I mean, what would you say to people that say it doesn't matter whether the salt went in first or last? This is what the soup tastes like at the end of the day. Um, With the salt being the programs yeah. and stuff like that. I think they're right to extent. I think they're right in terms of music production. I feel as long as you are creating however you create. I mean, here's the thing. We're kind of going into the territory we were talking about, the ghost producer thing. As long as, as long as, you, as long as you're, as long as you are the architect of the sound and the product you're making, then how you come about that, you you could just be uh, like showing new and um, 
innovative innovative ways of how to get to that point um kind of browbeating someone on a a technical aspect of how they process the the whole the whole saga to get to that that end goal <clears throat> seems a bit like it's nitpicking that's where the whole the clicky bourgeoisie of music that's where they rear their ugly head kind of thing yeah all right interesting so that's a bit of machine there bit of logic that's funk um I know this is your 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 episode or, or your episodes, but uh-huh. I think I'm, I'm I'm falling in love with production. You know, yeah. like I've I've produced audio, obviously. Yeah. You know, producing this and, yeah. and and working on how to kill an hour with mm. the great teams of people that are involved. Yeah. But it's definitely an interesting thing. Is it is it a thing that once you start getting your head around music production, it it can become addictive in a way that like you can lose time. I'll tell you something, yeah, and I don't think I've actually admitted this publicly, but over the years, my first and desire to DJ and has waned it actually has like the thing that keeps me in the game is the production actually being able to create something from scratch that it's going to exist forever when I release it on my label when it goes goes for the aggregators and it goes on Spotify iTunes whatever kind of thing that to me is so much more fulfilling I actually can't begin to articulate what it feels like to get that sense of recognition and and the the pride you get from making something and people liking it mm. as well that you that is completely from scratch and then there's another facet to the buzz you get when someone i don't know you you really kind of respect or or, or admire plays your stuff as well so i mean you you go through you go through a process of you get your first gig and you you get gassed and then yeah. you you get a bigger gig and you gassed and then and then you begin to think to yourself like hmm like there's there's got to be another way where you can be that fly on the wall and actually gauge whether or not they're into you or they're into you kind of thing so I feel like when you're on the stage and people are being polite and they're cheering to you and whatnot and um, I mean, this is the majority of the crowds. Obviously, the British are very kind of polite, but whether you're in the crowd and you're you're doing your thing and you're rocking the crowd and you're doing your DJ set and people are people being um, democratic in the sense of they are voting for you with their feet, they're dancing. The stronger form of getting that accolade and respect and admiration is through someone on the other side of the world, doesn't know who you are, doesn't owe you anything from Adam, buying your tune or leaving a really kind of complimentary comment on your SoundCloud account. or That feels like that's worth his weight in gold. So I was, when I started to experience that, I started to realise that, yeah, this this buzz is is a lot greater than the actual, the live DJ set. Not to say that I don't like DJing, I, I like, I enjoy it. There's, um, I feel like I've got a very decent sense of music and musical taste, and I'm very and I'm very aware as well in the club as to what works and what doesn't. So I know that I know that the, the concept of being a DJ is bigger than just going out there and, and educating. It's it's a it's a combination of educating and entertaining at the same time. But beyond that, 
DJing and then playing your own music in a set and seeing a crowd reaction and it's just like, yeah, can't be beat. Mm. So what does your DJ set consist of then? Is there a lot of funk which just slipped in there? <laughs> <laughs> you see... Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trend says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. That's that's where, again, that's this is part and parcel of being a DJ. I feel like being a DJ, you can either make it all about yourself. You have some egotistical DJs on the market out there. And there's the part of DJing where you have to be an educator. You have to show the, the audience, the crowd, okay, well, I am a representative of this genre. Let me show you about this genre. So for you to go out and play a whole heap of tracks about yourself kind of thing, that's not reflective of the genre that you're supposed to represent. So we're all flag bearers, whether yeah. you're, um, what's it called? Whether you're, you're Shorty Blitz, whether you're DJ Pioneer or, 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 or Duke Jamont or, or whether you're Logan Sama or whoever of their respective scenes. And they're all flag bearers for their respective scenes, whether it be hip hop, grime, house, whatever. And they come into those worlds flying the flag and pushing um pushing the 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 message of what that sound represents to encourage people to to kind of like fall in love with it. The danger you have is obviously the, the way the market has gone now is that it has it has meant that a lot of DJs have been, they felt they've got no other choice but to become producers mm. because it's actually, they've had to add another facet onto their, their whole branding. And when they do that, when they become producers, ultimately what they end up doing is because they start playing all their own shit. Yeah. They start forgetting the whole DJ side of things. All right. So the DJ slash producer, the DJ side begins to get eroded because they, begin to have this this um this moment where they they're like well i've invested my time my energy and my money in promoting other people now it's all about promoting me and what i do but they don't get the balance right mm. Mm. you mentioned duke demont as a flag bearer yeah you tweeted him today yeah what what happened? I, I'm I'm so ignorant. Yeah. Funk sent Duke Dumont a tweet saying, "Um, you took it really really well today." What what happened? Yeah, Duke Dumont. He's he's out in LA. I think he's relocated now, and I think he's had about three or four number ones in the UK charts here, and he is kind of on the the commercial side of house music that's what his chart music is represented but he plays a lot of and he has produced a lot of underground house music as well so he was out in LA and I think the venue had kind of like an overlooking balcony of the balcony was overlooking where his his actual DJ setup was the CDJs and his mix and whatnot and people were throwing bottles and yeah they were throwing bottles they were spitting 
And yeah, he just obviously had enough. Who would put up with that? Did he walk off? Well, yeah, he gave a warning. Fair dues to him. Yeah. Some of us would have just like been up them that spiral staircase to the. And some people would have been doing somebody. S- I would have thrown them into the DJ booth. Yeah, exactly. And come back. I, I would have gone up, thrown them into the booth, and come back I down. Think, I think a couple would have done the the, the Superman impression. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, fair dues to to Duke. He, he gave them a warning on the microphone, saying, okay. "Look, yeah." He mm. said, basically, 99% of you love you guys. You're here to hear the music, to hear me play. And I want to carry on doing what I'm doing, but I can't be working under these conditions. And it carried on and he just cut his set short. So yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen as a result of that. But yeah, I mean, it that's another side of of the DJ, which some people don't really think about. I think... The consumer out there, they believe that once they've bought their ticket, their entry into it, that entry not only provides them to whatever, to dance the night away, to take as many selfies in the toilet, it also entitles them to um, control what the DJ plays, to have some sort of autonomy over the DJ's playlist for that night. When then you see it, um, yourself, you're a DJ, when someone comes up to the DJ booth and they've got their their phone screen with a whole list of commandments on there and you must play <laughs> Ten, ten commandments yeah, the of tunes, commands, yeah. more than ten it's like 25 commandments yeah, yeah so and it it's, it becomes frustrating because you as a DJ again you're kind of caught in that in that in that um, in that situation whereby do you entertain do you represent yourself do you kind of play it safe and just kind of satisfy the needs of the customer and whatnot and walk away with your your your, your five star recommendations or do you kind of like yeah do you do you push the art from a little bit and and, and give a bit of yourself creatively mm. and yeah that must have come about because they quote unquote felt that he wasn't playing the right music but again he is the headline act so in essence they're there for what he represents mm. so yeah but the behaviour anyway was disgusting anyway so yeah it's terrible terrible behaviour oh yeah moving on um Another great team bit of teamwork that you're that you're handling at the moment for yeah. want of a better set of words. Trim. You can all pretend to be me now. You can buy a trim in every vending machine. It comes with its own flow and several beats. Couple marshmallows, other edible sweets. The Grime MC turn artist. Uh, you're doing some work with him. But first things first, how did you two bump into each other, get to know each other? I think it's on the foot of itch. Yeah. Um, years ago, we used to go Bartlett in um, Bartlett Park in Bow or Mylan sorry and we used to be over there playing football that'd be me Trim who'd be over there Scope who's the, um, he he's on stage a lot with Dizzy Rascal mm-hmm. um, a Rapid um, Tinchy Strider gosh for the guy and I mentioned the people in music that were kind of over there so that's so that's basically the rough squad lot, um, and everyone kind of affiliated with that area, that Miley and Bo community. And we used to play like a lot of football matches over there on a Sunday. And this was like years ago, but we just kind of like hit it off from there, like started talking and whatnot. And it's, it's always weird when I hear people, um, speak about, speak about Javan because obviously they've obviously got their, um, their information from third parties. Third parties who necessarily might not get along with him. So you're not really going to get a 
a um, you're not really going to get a holistic picture. It's going to be very biased, depending on on where it's coming from. And more to the point, it couldn't be more further from the truth. Like the guy is just he's just a blessing. He's just a really, 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 really cool guy. Who I'm 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 proud to call a friend. Mm. And we've always just worked in our respective fields and until recently, yeah, he just kind of like hollered at me and said, How do you feel about being my DJ for these up and coming gigs? Like you you can he goes, yeah, I know, I know you're done. You can mix this. You can mix anything. Have you, have you got any grime? I was like, yeah, cool. It's just like, for me, mixing's mixing. Like, I'm, I'm a music head. Mm. I, I am a house specialist, but I listen to everything. So it's not like I'm actually stepping out of my comfort zone. I've, I've listened to, to, to grime for years and whatnot. And I was around those times when, like, grime was kind of, well, it wasn't even called grime. It was just this sound that everyone was into and Dizzy was on, was kind of coming through Nasty Crew sets on Deja and, and whatnot and it was on the Roll Deep on Sundays and whatnot. So, um, so the sound is is part of who we are if you live in East London. So it wasn't anything to kind of get the music together, all about a few mates of mine who are specialists in grime and just kind of fill the gaps in my collection. And yeah, so, so we started kind of making... That was the DJ aspect of it. The the first tune that we've done together was Trim Times Funk and that came out on the Green Money label. Shouts to Alex Fonsi and Leo Greenslade and he owned um, Green Money. So I'd recently put out a record called Shake Your Neck. That got a lot of interest at Black Butter Records and unfortunately because we couldn't clear the sample we didn't really um, progress any further down that side of things but it was still released and whatnot and then the second release after that was Funk Times Trim I put the market on I think this is what Winnie and Clarky want and the scab still got the lurgies or did he pass them on he's a moving like Phaser's album flop and this was um, I wouldn't say it's it's grime per se um it's closer to uh, a scene in Chicago called foot, a, a scene in Chicago called Footwork, mm-hmm. and it's closer to, uh, to that sound. And um, What's, what is the Footwork sound? The Footwork it, it is literally. It's funny because the the dance that the dance scene that has evolved from Footwork describes very much in a visual way how the sound is represented it's very jittery very fast like double time um and yeah i I haven't really heard it in like on mass on this side of the pond like you hear it in in certain productions or hyperdub um kind of had a few bits and pieces knocking around um, that represented that sound. But that's mainly because Code 9, the, the label head of Hyper Up, he travels so much on that side of things. And yeah, people like Scratcher and um, um, Bok Bok kind of putting me on to um, 
where these this sound is more prevalent in but it just shows the level of flexibility that trim has he's able to kind of sit on tunes which aren't necessarily from his innate musical background where he would have been immersed in in the early days and testament to that is when you listen to this album a lot of people call in the 1-800 album that he's just put out because he hasn't put out crisis yet <clears throat> but when you listen to the 1-800 album everyone just says that this is brilliant because it's different like no disrespect to already to what is out there but what is out there is what is out there and what is out there is kind of we're, we're, we're kind of doing an omnibus edition if you miss Grime first time around we're going to give it to you again yeah catch up get the, get the, get the, the BBC whatever the, the BBC iPlayer uh, and record it yeah. where they got in, in, the, in the US Vivo T- TiVo yeah, yeah TiVo. Reco- record it so, because you missed it first time around that's, that's basically what's happening with Grime so it might not be the same music but the style is, is the same which um, some might argue it, it isn't but essentially it is the, 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 the concept the energy of it is it's, it's very different from a progression of 15 years in hip hop because in hip hop 15 years ago the sound was, was completely different to what it is now whereas I feel like in grime there's only some elements of grime which are actually pushing the borders creatively, sonically, and giving you something that that it sits under that grime umbrella, but it is different. Mm. Um, that one eight hundred album is, in in my opinion, is that. And obviously, people say, "Oh, yeah," but you would say that. But I mean, if you could listen to it and say otherwise, that it is different and arguably could be the direction that grime is going in, then. And I'm as much as Trim like doesn't he disassociates he disassociates himself with the the core crime fraternity because of other kind of behind the scenes industry politics um someone could argue that that this is a tangent that crime could be going on i mean that is just one argument that could be put out there and we'll definitely see where that goes because uh there's this thing called the secluded area of music yeah Yep, um, yep, yep. And am I right? That's an imprint with you and Trim. Yeah. So obviously, that's, this is Trim's imprint. This is Trim's imprint. And obviously, he's turned around to me as the person that's kind of working with him um, alongside on this journey. And he's kind of looked to his left and said, hey, well, it only makes sense to kind of like broker this relationship officially that we have you on board and we kind of cover each other on aspects that... Um, we can't do and we work to each other's strengths and whatnot. So the secluded area of music is an imprint that it's, it's an imprint that's very much in its infancy um, in terms of what it represents holistically. But if you wanted to chalk it down to anything, it would more than likely represent the character of who the label head is. Like obviously, there are two label heads, but I'm, when I'm when I talk of the label heads character, I'm obviously talking about Trim. Yeah. So it is going to have that slightly gruff, very artistic, um, left field, unapologetic 
um, aspects to it as an imprint. So we're going to start churning out music and and I'm going to have my ear very close um, to the ground, curated a catalogue representative of that. Excellent. And is that going to be a refreshing step for you to be moving towards a that area? A million percent. Do you know the thing? As a musician, yeah, you always hope for things to kind of push you into different areas and give you an, an, a new lease of life, a new bit of inspiration. And even when I, when you hollered at me um, to kind of jump on board with How to Kill an Hour, I was just like, what? This is, this is, this is different. And different is good for me. I'm not scared of different. There's yeah. one thing I'm not... Um, Afraid or I'm very adventurous. Pause, but um, <laughs> and um, what that means is that that allows me to to kind of like branch into areas that I would have no business in otherwise. Yeah, there would be no logical way for me to kind of enter into the podcast world unless I was wasn't shown like the door into that world. Now I'm in, and then I've shown. Um, my, my level of, of, of competence in that world. And I mm. thought, okay, cool. And then it's the same thing with secluded area of music and doing the sets with, with Trim, whereby I've not only done the tracks with Trim, I've done a track with Trim and Nico, Lindsay, shouts to Nico. And we've got other stuff. I've got stuff coming out on Trim's album, which is again, more left field and more experimental, but it allows me to kind of, again, enter into aspects of music which I would have no business in otherwise and as long as I do it tastefully with the utmost respect then I should be embraced if it does look I mean you have to be very careful how you do it because you don't want to kind of give off a vibe of well you're there's this smacks of opportunism you just look like a guy that's jumping on a bandwagon here like how can you justify this and I can't, I can only justify this in my art. I have to let the art speak for itself. Mm. If I make something mediocre that you don't like, then I hold my hands up. But if I wholeheartedly put my efforts into it and, and creativity and give you something different and tasteful and respectful, respective of the genre that people have been slogging, what, 10, 15, 20 years more so to create, and if I contribute that, because I'm, I'm, I'm in no way, shape or form trying to kind of jump on the, on the coattails or be part of the conversation. I am just a contributor. Like many people, I'm just trying to fulfill my own, um, uh, selfish aspirations of saying, yeah, I've, I've contributed to, to this, 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 this amazing scene yeah. kind of thing, as well as contributing to house, as well as having, um, been on this radio station and that station and that station. So. I was too close to the ground conversation anyway to kind of not be influenced by it. Yeah. With being on Deja and, and Rinse and whatever, like it was, it, it, it was bound to happen. I remember, like, I remember Terra Danger saying to me, like, years ago, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna make some ground soon, you're gonna make some ground. He said that years ago, you're gonna make some ground soon, you're gonna make some ground soon. Shouts to Terra. And I thought to myself, yeah, it's, it's, it's bound to happen. Yeah. I can't see why not, but obviously I have to make that transition natural. If yeah. I did it, at that point in time when someone goes, you can make some ground, go, okay, and I make it, then you're kind of, you're kind of stopping and starting the sentence, so to speak. You have to kind of let the paragraph finish, so to speak, page break, and then you can kind of like 
go into something new well sometimes if you're that close to something it's bound to happen right uh in this case it's getting into the world of grime but what a knowledgeable guy funk butcher is man plus a shocking story about duke demon i'm uh, it's weird when you hear people paying money to go and treat other people like that's odd um but there's plenty more where that conversation came from in our fourth and final section of when funk butcher joins us on marcus meets in the next episode this show was produced and hosted by myself marcus bronzy thank you to our co-producers billy wright milo fisher shane powell and david Shawcross. special thanks to wide awake aka cj beats and jordan crisp for the strings and intro music you can listen to marcus meets via itunes podcasts for apple devices or on acast which works on every single phone that i know of we would love your feedback in terms of a, of a rating and a review if you're unsure of how to do that we've left a link in the description where you just have to click and uh, then you're in give us a rating and review thank you very much for listening to this episode of Marcus Meets part 4 will be with you very very soon thank you head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Worried you'll need to babysit your robot vacuum? Think again. Meet Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum with AI-powered navigation to recognize and avoid over 100 objects. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards. And Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com. And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. $15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.